Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello there. It's good to be back. Uh, I'm with you today on Suicides and Forgiveness. And today uh, we're talking to a very interesting guest. I'm really excited to bring him to you. His name is Brad Wetzler, and he speaks and writes passionately, passionately, pardon me, about mental health, men's issues, and spirituality. Um, he's got a new memoir coming out, or has just, I guess, recently come out, called Into the Soul of the World, My Journey to Healing. Uh, he, it's an adventure journalist story of a decade-long, round-the-world quest to overcome his drug addiction and to understand and heal from past traumas. Uh, he suffered from PTSD and severe depression from past traumas, battled an addiction to overprescribed psychiatric medication, and at his rock bottom in his career, he had nowhere else to go, so he set out on this journey. Today, we're going to talk about all of that and other things from Brad. So thank you so much. Here he comes. Hi. 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 Thank you for having me. Well, thank you very much for joining me as a guest. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be able to look at other things in mental health as well as suicide and suicide survivors because I believe all of those pieces are tied together. And um, I'm on a mission to end the silence, the stigma mm -hmm. and the shame surrounding both suicide and mental health. The more we know, the better off we're all gonna be. I hear you and I, I agree, couldn't agree more. So I'm ha really happy to be here. Oh, that's great. So um, that sounds like uh, quite a trek. 10 years of searching, we'll get to that. I want you to start probably where you were at your lowest and how you got to go on that journey. Yeah. Um, so I'd been a successful, a very successful magazine writer, a journalist, and my focus was on adventure writing and, um, and also politics. I wrote for all the major, the top magazines in, in the nation. But as I had become successful, I was struggling with depression and what I later learned was trauma and PTSD. But I had been misdiagnosed at a young age with bipolar disorder. And so that's kind of the crux of, of this story is that um, I was I got hooked up with a doctor that uh, kept I, and I kept coming in seeking answers with the doctor and we, he kept trying one thing after the next and never really took me off anything until I was taking I think uh, 12 or 13 medications um, 23 pills a day and uh, 
and they were everything from antidepressants, standard antidepressants, to mood stabilizers, to antipsychotics, to dexedrine, a very strong stimulant, and then of course uh, other meds to help you know with sleep and appetite because the antipsychotics added you know I gained a lot of weight on that. So long story short, I was taking all these medications and I basically went to bed. Although I I need to. I actually, it was more of a walking zombie because of the stimulants I was on, but I, I was basically asleep, but on my feet. And I was um, basically struggled to, you know, I'd go to a cafe with a stack of magazines that I had been on the covers of in the previous years. And I would struggle to even read them. Uh, my relationship was ending uh, my marriage. Um, and I even, and though I've never, um, seriously considered suicide. I, I did keep, a, uh, as I've written in the book, a shotgun in the closet to, to uh, you know, in case things got that bad and I feared they would. So, um, and so at, around that time I was at the rock bottom, um, a friend of mine uh, did succeed. Uh, so, you know, that's not the right word, I'm sorry, but uh, did end up yes. killing himself, um, uh, dying by suicide. And um, as I was, I got a phone call at five in the morning and I knew, I knew that, um, what had happened and just by the tone of voice and it was his mother, he was about 30 years old. Uh, um, and, um, I remember sitting with his body in the hallway, um, and just realizing I needed to, uh, he was on a similar dosage of medications also, for bipolar disorder, which he'd also suffered serious traumas. And I now doubt his bipolar diagnosis. And, um, but long story short, I was sitting with his body and realized um, that I had to make some major change in my life. And I, so that's when the story began. And that, that was, that period of time was anywhere from five to seven years. It's hard to really know when I, when the medications hit this kind of maximum point but I you know five to seven years I stopped writing I stopped I ended up on disability it was just a um it was just a terrible time in my life wow that that's an awful lot to go through and to have it stare you in the face like that by losing a friend mm -hmm. I, I mean it's awful that that was your wake-up call but in another way, it's good because you're here. Yeah, I hear you, and I see it. I do see it that way. Um, and I, I, yeah, I remember going home that afternoon and and just feeling so exhausted and lying down, and and it was just like as I was lying down, it was almost like there was eyes inside me that were beginning to wake up, and I could see see something and I could see and I also though could see how hard it was going to be I, I yeah. you know I know there are a lot of personal transformation coaches out there and I just I knew in my in my body this was not going to be an easy journey yeah. and it was going to be a complicated one for me and um, I hope your viewers don't have a you know it doesn't take 10 years but it did for me and it, it took quite circuitous route yeah yeah well it, it 10 years, as much as that, that is long, uh, some of us have taken up to 39 years yeah. to, to get there. It, it, it is uh, sometimes a very halting journey and sometimes 
you get on that right path. And although it's 10 years, it, it seems probably in hindsight that it, it was a, a straight trip in a way. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it, it, it sort of was a series of revelations. I think like any, any kind of story of recovery and, you know, one of the earlier revelations that I, I read an article in the New York Times about um, the cause of so much depression is is toxic shame. And, you know, I came of uh, age in my early 20s when I first saw a psychiatrist at a time when these medications, the psychiatrists believed they were just the, the, the be all and end all and the answer. And there was also a belief in the sort of the biological uh, brain chemistry, you know, idea that this is what depression was. There was a lot of people like me that got diagnosed with bipolar at that time when it was shame and it was situational kind of uh, depression. And we just all got thrown into the, you know, I began taking lithium. This is another heavy story, but I, I, I a friend of my family's uh, introduced me to my first psychiatrist and he had become excited about this bipolar diagnosis and was convinced I had it. And, and I was only suffering from depression at the time. And, and I spent 50 minutes in, in session with this doctor. One session I talked about, you know, he hardly asked about my family situation um, uh, or my background. And I told a few stories and I've always been a spiritual person and always had kind of these, these, you know, somewhat mystical experiences. And, and that, that was the, that was the mistake I made in mentioning that. And he became convinced I was bipolar and having, you know, manic episodes and long story short, that was the road into the medications when the lithium didn't help me, then they kept adding more and more and more. And I, I sort of, in retrospect, it's hard to believe, you know, and he was, he was a diligent doctor. I don't, I mean, I, I hardly, you know, I, and I was there, with my hand out for, you know, a for his empathy uh, as a young man seeking a father figure and someone who'd listened to my problems and, and, um, and also had said he had solutions that seemed science-based and, you know, and that was another problem of, the, of just trusting too much. And so I own some of that, um, but it did become an addiction. I know that my nervous system now was quite frayed and agitated from the traumas and, and I was soothing myself with these legal pills. You know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, I have to go back there and say that wasn't your mistake. Yeah. Okay. The, the training at the time for psychiatrists and psychologists, they were very deep in the, the cornucopia of pharmaceuticals. And we now know they still don't know how or why some of these things work. Yes. Which is why for such a long time, things were, were wildly overprescribed. When I have doctor friends today and uh, neurologists and, um, and even they seem baffled when I talk about trauma, they, they, they weren't educated in it. And they oh. just sort of like, they have no capacity to even hear it. It's quite yeah. bizarre. I don't know. No, and it's funny because I was um, told probably about 10 years ago uh, something about, well, you know, who's handling your PTSD? 
And I said, what? I've never been in the military. What are you talking about? And, you know, we, we don't necessarily know all the things that should be open discussion. We yeah. should know about trauma and what comes from trauma. We should know that PTSD is possible in all humans. Yes. You know, but because we we hide so many things and we are so, I believe, molded by shame. Yeah. It's very hard for people to, to get their stories out there. And, and that's one why I commend you on, on the book and, and coming on here and talking. Mm -hmm. But in a, in a journey of 10 years, going around the world, I, I, to me, that, that's, in a way, it's, it's fantastical that you, you were, uh, had the presence of mind, perhaps, to, mm -hmm. to make that journey. So what was, say, the very first light you could see that you were on the right path? Well, you know, interestingly, the first thing I did uh, a few months after the, the death of my friend was I um, one one day I read this article about something called the Jesus Trail in, in Israel. And so I had been a kind of a, um, a fanatical young Christian as a boy. I, you know, I, I my family wasn't necessarily, but I found um, solitude in in a group that um, that. So long story short, and I, when I when I left high school, I kind of left that that path behind. And so the first thing I did is I, I, I wanted to hike this Jesus trail and I wanted to just try to understand what what my obsession had been about as a kid. And I also just knew that at a, at a root level that, you know, spirituality and I doubted it would be um, my old Christian path, but I knew that I needed um, some understanding or some connection to something larger than myself to heal. Yeah. And so I spent, uh, you know, 10 weeks um, traveling across Israel and Palestine, kind of asking myself, could I, could I go, to, could I be on that path again? And the answer when I finally left was no, but it did light up something. And I, and I, I started to get a deeper understanding of the word faith and, and, um, I was reading a lot and, and I just I stumbled on this idea and I, I hope if this is too intellectualized for uh, for this conversation. But this idea that in the, before the Enlightenment, you know, you could have faith without it needing to be true or, or uh, scientifically true. You could believe in something um, without it necessarily needing to believe in all the facts of it. And this is a subtle point, but. Yeah. I started to understand that I could have faith in myself in something greater than myself and faith that I was here for some purpose other than um, being medicated and, and even traveling as a, as a travel writer. And I began to just trust myself and trust these feelings that were starting to emerge in my body that, that I was coming alive. And even, you know, and as I began to get off the medications and I, I did start to work I moved and found a new psychiatrist who's who's first said, let's get you off as much of this as we can and see who you are. And he said, I'm not even going to talk about diagnoses for a year. And um, 
And, uh, you know, eventually I got off, you know, most of the things. And I, I today, just full disclosure, I take a light antidepressant and I take an ADD med. And that helps me because some of these symptoms of the trauma and the PTSD lead to brain fog and also yeah. to this depression that I'm just so used to being in. So, um, so, but yeah, so the travel, I, I knew that travel and spiritual seeking was going to be part of the journey, but I also then knew that finding good help was going to be part of it. So that's it kind of was an outward inward thing at the same time. Oh, I, I love that. And I, I, I think, I think it's wonderful that you had that early, early grounding in Christianity that, that gave you a thirst for more knowledge because there are, there are certain, uh, I would say bonuses in having that kind of faith, be it Christianity or be you a Muslim or, or uh, the Jewish faith, whatever you are, having that faith in a higher power can help you get through a lot of difficult times. And, and often it is blind faith. Um, yeah. You don't have empirical data that says, well, you know, X is this and Y is this. Therefore, it, it just is an absolutely blind faith that can get one through. And it's unfortunate some of us lose that and have to find our way back to our own type of spirituality, which sounds to me that that's where you ended up. Yes. Yeah, it is. It became, um, well, I started working with a therapist in Boulder, Colorado, where I was living at the time, who was a, um, had been a lifelong Buddhist and, and, um, and she, so the, the psychiatrist ended up diagnosing me, um, believe it or not, the psychiatrist did with PTSD. And then it was confirmed by another doctor and, an, and another therapist. And I began working with this, this therapist who, um, and I, I was dabbling in Eastern Eastern religion and thinking at that time. And, you know, I think one of the things that faith does and being on a faith path, whatever it is, is I had a lot to relearn. I, you know, I had found myself, um, you know, I had, you know, one of the things about complex PTSD, which is um, I had both PTSD from a, a canoeing accident and then complex PTSD from being, growing up in an alcoholic narcissistic family system and being the scapegoat. And so I had a really um, kind of a incomplete sense of self. Um, in some ways I, I felt like I was a sage, like I was a, a, a yogi in a cave. And in other ways I felt like I was about 13 years old and I, I had to kind of go on this journey of growing up and again and, and one of the things that the spiritual paths do, you know, of course, all spiritual paths have their basic tenets. And, and I fell in love with yoga eventually. And, you know, there's these, these yamas and the niyamas. Well, that's, that was step one as I could start to, they're kind of the 10 commandments of yoga in a way. And I needed that, you know, I, I lacked kind of a, um, you know, that kind of fatherly uh, way of learning how, what good behavior was. I had to kind of, you know, use these as a way as an ethical system. And mm -hmm. so, and I began to lean on that. I also began to get back in my body through the yoga and then explore the deeper kind of philosophies of, of the Eastern wisdom. And that became um, really meaningful to me and, and understanding that the, the, 
the idea that we have a soul and that our soul is connected to perhaps the soul of the world, which is obviously the name of my book. And it truly, and, and I don't have any firm answers to tell anybody or be, I can't talk about it in, in, in a way that I know you can find this too. This is what worked for me. And it, it um, and I also believe that, you know, I think it was Carl Jung that said all, all life problems in middle age and beyond are basically spiritual problems. And I, you know, it's a sense of finding wholeness and, and our medical system is so focused on, on pulling apart, you know, and I even, my own mind pulled myself apart, a very self-abusive inner critic. And, and so I started to see, I had to put things back together. I had to find more wholeness and maybe more holiness at the same time and, and, uh, and stop tearing myself apart and stop, you know, believing in systems, you know, wholeheartedly like psychiatry, which is so diagnostic. And so this is what your problem is. And, of course, it serves a function and everything, but it's just not, it's a tool, not a worldview. And I had fallen for it as a worldview. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe the more, uh, the, the bigger wealth of tools we have that are in different areas, it's like, okay, if the only thing you ever eat is chicken noodle soup. Yeah. You're doing yourself a disservice because there's so much more out there. And as much as you're getting protein, you're getting carbs, you're getting some fat. So technically, you could live on that, not well, and you yeah. wouldn't be super energetic. But it's like that in that you, you've pigeoned yourself into this, this little wedge mm -hmm. and, and living is existing it's not really yeah. living that's a great point and interestingly you know i think trauma and, and ptsd can make us interesting you use that example of chicken noodle soup because mm -hmm. it can make us rigid and make us quite narrow focused and it, it, you really nailed how it can feel we're willing to just look at what's directly in front of us mm -hmm. psychiatry okay this is my path and um yeah. we have a harder time seeing the vastness you know well, yeah, it's a harder time. And I think, too, sometimes it's the fear yeah. of what is outside of that narrow focus mm -hmm. is so overwhelming that we, we're the horses with the blinders on because the only way we can go forward is if we're directed. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So after Jerusalem and Palestine... Where did you head next? Okay, so I ended up moving from Santa Fe, where I'd been living and working. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd been a, a journalist and had lived out of and was married and had a house there. I, I ended up you know, going through a divorce and I moved to Boulder, Colorado, which was a wonderful place for kind of spiritual exploration. Mm -hmm. And I knew um, I, I traveled to India in 1999 and I was on the I was just at the verge of still being quite functional, but, but I was starting to slow down from the medications. I was getting puffy. My stamina was slowing down. I was, um, I was not well, but it, even though I was functioning still at a fairly high level and writing articles and, and, um, after I finished, uh, it was a, it was kind of a business culture article about the tech industry in, 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 uh, India. And so as soon as I was done though, I, I, 
you know, hired a, um, a car and we, I started visiting holy sites in Southern India. Mm -hmm. And then I met a man that said that I really should go to Varanasi, um, where one of the holiest places in India It's where people often go to at the end of their lives. And they have these large, um, they're called the burning guts and, and these cremation fields. And so, um, I, I decided to go there and I just had the, the deepest, most soulful experience, um, in these kind of charnel grounds. And then I visited a, a temple to the God Shiva and I was still quite naive to all the complexity of, of these religions, but I, you know, I just had this experience. And so when I was in Boulder, I knew I, I would long to go back to India. I felt like India was in my blown bones, you know? And so eventually as I got this diagnosis of trauma and PTSD and began to heal and began working with the trauma specialist and a new psychiatrist that, that really um, understood trauma, I, I signed up for a, 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 a trip to Northern India. Now, let me actually, let me back up. I kind of became obsessed with these two spiritual teachers that, that kind of emerged from this in the sixties and seventies, but Ram Das was one of them. Yes. And his friend, Krishna Das, who was a, a, a singer. And, and I began watching movies about these two men who had found, um, especially Krishna Das, had struggled with um, his own addictions and depressions. And, and I, I watched this movie about him probably a hundred times. And, uh -huh. and, um, and I just knew I had to go to this part of India where he and Ram Das had been. And so... So I signed up for this trip and I went and, and I just had one day. So this is where uh, we start to, to get towards the end of the book. But um, one of my friends said that there was a, a hundred year old yogi that lived in a cave at, at the top of this mountain. And um, I, um, you know, said oh, we've got to go see him. And so we hiked up, uh, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half to get to the top of this mountain. And um, we entered the, took our shoes off and entered this cave and, and everyone, you know, there's, there's what five of us or so. And, and I, I came in last and, and as I crawled through this cave and, and we've all bowed at his feet one by one. And as I bowed at his feet and it was quite such an extraordinary experience. I mean, who would have thought that I would end up in my, you know, early fifties healing from trauma and, and at the feet of this yogi, and he's just ancient looking. And as I have my head on the ground, and as I start to sit up, um, he he kind of slaps my head really hard. And uh, and I I learned enough by then about this idea in, in Eastern uh, religions of Shaktipat, which is uh, a spiritual tra physical spiritual transmission. And some of you all out there might be doubtful of this, but it's this it's a different world over there yeah. and there's extraordinary things that we are not aware of over here and so it, he he hit me on the head and i sat up and we looked in each other's eyes and i started weeping and i still hardly can contain myself as i describe it and i just felt like i was weeping you know decades and and maybe even lifetimes of grief and and um and just this, there's this thing called the glance of mercy where, you you know, a, a sage like that can look upon you and it can create this intense experience. Well, that night I went to bed and the next morning um, I, I woke up and I always wake up before dawn and I was sitting out uh, um, reading 
out out in the, on this open area overlooking this deep valley. This is in the Himalayan foothills. And I was watching these birds and these two birds were like playing and flying out over the valley and then coming back and then going back out and then coming back. And and I like I kind of started to fall into a trance and, and I, I got up to get more tea and and I, my legs hardly could support me. And I, so I, I walked down this path to where I was staying with my then girlfriend and and a, a snake crawled across the path. And like, I mean, snakes, first of all, are very symbolic of transformation. Mm -hmm. And and this snake, though, the, the, the earth behind it was was like vibrating and. And I looked up in the sky and the mountains were kind of vibrating together. And so guess what my first reaction was? I went into my uh, to my room and I was convinced I was getting sick. Right. I needed pills of some kind. Oh, antibiotics. I've got to figure out what's going on. Maybe I should take another antidepressant, you know, or whatever. Because I, I just it was something I, I thought was wrong, but it was actually as good a thing as you could have happen. And. And so long story short, this this trance last, lasted uh, 12 hours. And I sat on the on the roof of this small building and just cried uh, tears of joy and grief. And almost like I couldn't connect with any of the, the suffering I'd been through. And so um, it was quite an extraordinary experience that I, that, you know, and I got back and 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 this was all, almost the, the, the coolest part of it is. I was working with a psychiatrist who was quite traditional and, and sort of old, very old school, but I had seen him at a couple of, um, of these singing event, chanting events called kirtans. And, yeah. and so I knew on some level I could tell him about this experience. And unlike that early psychiatrist that pathologized it, he put his pen down after I told him and he said, you know, I have no doubt this was real. And he said, um, um, this doesn't happen to just anybody, you know, you, you deserve this and maybe you earned it and it was real. And it was sort of the most extraordinary moment of my life in a way, even, I mean, just to have that validation from a Westerner, uh, 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 you know, and it was just amazing. And, and I still think about that as, you know, trauma is when something too confusing or terrible happens for our minds and bodies to process it but i now like what do you what happens when something is too good and, and it's almost like i had a hard time processing it yeah. but, but that moment has become an anchor for me for remembering the soul that you know this this part of me that is underneath all the traumas and underneath the suffering and that there is, it is real and we can hold fast to that in our, our times of darkness so I, I love everything you've said. I completely believe everything you said because, yeah, I've, I've followed a little bit of a, a, a path in some Indian uh, medicine. And it's interesting to me that our lizard brain, if you will, in that moment of pure joy, immediately it goes to, let's get back to the comfort zone. We need some pills. Okay, something's wrong here. Because even though it was joy, ecstasy, that's not a place that we feel safe, which is yeah. kind of sad. It is. And it's actually something that's it's currently coming up in my own therapy work is understanding just how much 
I've tamped myself down over the years uh, because of the way I learned to be as a young person. And it was not okay to be exuberant and, and all these things. And so um, I'm now trying to, to live in more joy and it's not an easy thing. And, and it's, uh, yeah. No, it really isn't, but, but it is so wonderful in the moments that you can. Yes. And, and to, and to also be realistic and not fall for the, the idea that we can sustain joy. I think this oh. is one of the beauties of the Eastern path is, you know, I think we think in the West that we can buy our way to happiness. We can do this or that and find some kind of sustained happiness. And there's a real acceptance that all emotions come and go. And, and that, you know, essentially there's a lot of, there's suffering in the world. And when you, when you acknowledge that and sit with that and be okay with that, that was a big benchmark in my recovery too. I think, you know, some of us grow up in these perfectionistic families that, um, mm-hmm. that kind of teach us on an unconscious level that, that we should be happy, you know, buck up and you should be happy. And I think when you accept that it's okay to feel frustrated or sad and to allow those feelings to move through you, that you can find more peace. And, and I think that's one of the, the amazing teachings of, of the Buddha and other, you know, paths in the East. So. Oh, absolutely. And and that is a big problem, especially in the West, where you are so buttoned up and and you're brought up to be buttoned up and and not show the emotions that are considered, you know, yeah, they're not the great ones. So let's just not show them. But they're all meant to flow and go. And, 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 and to show the inside to the outside and vice versa. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you can express yourself as who you are rather than, you know, this mask we have to wear so often to function in, in our Western world. So absolutely. And wearing a mask and, and trying to maintain that other, just other is exhausting. Yeah. And, and that people pleasing is a, is a symptom of complex trauma. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What's next for you? So I think I moved to to Austin a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, I I think one of the things that I've learned is uh, and and I'm careful about. um, Well, you know, there's a lot of trauma gurus out there right now and a lot of and I think the thing that I uh, have to remember is our nervous systems, you know, don't often heal totally. And, and even in trauma work and what really changes is our, our relationship with ourselves and our traumas and, and how we, how we manage ourselves when the, we get activated. And so I'm really realistic about, um, but my life is good. And, and um, I'm, I'm getting ready to start writing a new book. Um, I think I'm, I want to write a book about, masculinity and i think that this is sort of the next thing so much of this work i've realized is unusual for men to do this kind of work and and it came i wouldn't say naturally to me but i've always been inclined to to try these modalities and ways of thinking that aren't typically masculine and i kind of want to understand you know what's a good man that's kind of the the uh and i want to travel around the world asking um asking people this question. So um, I think that's what's next for me. So, Oh, oh I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I think that's and, uh, and who knows? I mean, I, I'm actually, it's, it's kind of bizarre. I was thinking, you know, this morning, 
when the shame starts to heal, you begin to experience yourself differently and you almost have a grieving process of you have to let go of the old person you were. And I'm kind of in this kind of state of flux now where I am finding more joy. And um, at the same time, it's confusing. It's confusing to feel better. <laughs> I totally get that. Yeah. And, and um, that's a really good point for the audience because in changing yourself, how, however you change, whatever parts of you, you change, whether it be emotional, mental, or physical, there is grief involved because you are putting that, that other person away. Um, we, we don't acknowledge the grief we have for leaving childhood, right. for leaving our teenagers, whether they were good, bad, or indifferent. We've left that person behind. And, and we don't acknowledge the grief that goes along with that. Yes. And, and yeah. I, have, I have ended up estranged from my family. We never did find a path back to each other. Um, oh, their, 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 their story of the family is, is, couldn't be more different than mine. And also, that's a good thing for your listeners to realize is, you know, of course, it's probably more ideal to have connection with your family at the same time. Um, you know, denial is a heavy, heavy duty thing. And, and, and families of alcoholism and narcissism can often, it's, it works like a cult. And, um, and so I was fortunate, you know, at one point, my therapist in Boulder, you know, looked at me and said, um, you know, you're no longer a child of your family, you're a child of God and a child of the universe. And, um, you got out of this family with your soul and, and that may not be true of the other siblings. I have an older brother and younger sister. And so I, I you know, I, I do think about that. I, I hope they have their souls. I don't know if she's true, but, um, but I know I got out with mine and, and, uh, and that's the important thing. And, and right now it works best for me to not be in contact. So. And, and I, I do understand that because there are times where, our safety has to be paramount. Mount. We have to. We have to put ourselves first. What's wonderful, and what I want the audience to know is, the people you surround yourself with—they may not biologically be your family. Yes. But they can be your chosen family. Yeah. And and that, and that I will say and admit that that was probably the hardest part of the journey was letting go of the illusions and, 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 and getting to the other side of that, where I ha can see my friends and the people around me now as family. And I, I can even hold my family of origin up as I learned some good things and some, some not so good things. And I can, I don't need to have a lot of energy, negative energy toward yeah. them. And, you know, I think forgiveness is, is a complicated thing. I, I feel like I've arrived there in some large degree i also am careful about i don't think people should be forced to into forgiveness too no. soon and so yeah no and and also there is a huge difference between forgiving and forgetting yes yeah and and i'm a firm believer in if you don't want to repeat mistakes then don't forget what the mistake was Absolutely. in the first place. yeah So 
Are you heading out soon to start this new trek to answer that question? I think by the end of the summer, early fall, I've got some work to do to plan out the book and, and to discuss it with my agent and to, to get it really in the works. But I, I'm planning on, I'm doing the preliminary research now and, and, um, um, and I also have another book idea. So I, who knows? I think this, the, the, the masculinity one is the one I'll do first, but, um, I'm also in the, in the early process of promoting this book and that takes up a lot of time. And I would like to mention that to your, to your listeners to, to, to perhaps buy into the soul of the world, um, my journey to healing. And, um, it is, it is a very, uh, it's an adventure story and it's, a, it, it has its highs and lows, but it's, it's quite a journey around to these most exotic, um, um, profound spiritual places of the world and seeking externally, but also really deeply seeking internally for, for a sense of peace. And, and I've, I've, I've largely gotten there and I'm, I'm pleased to say so. Yeah. With, 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 you know, caveats that we, we always have something coming down the pike that we have to deal with. So. Absolutely. My spiritual advisor says to me, we are onions. There is always another layer. <laughs> right. Yeah. And as the audience knows, all the information to do with Brad and the book and his social links and everything else will be on the page with the episode so that you can click through and get his book. And we'll keep uh, our ears open for his next book as well. Brad, I have to thank you so much uh, for being my guest today. This has been a really not just interesting and eye-opening, but uh, you've got me very curious and I can't wait to read the book. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. And it's just been a joy to be in conversation with you. What a great podcast you have. So, Well, thank you. I do appreciate that. As I always say, thank you so much for taking your time and listening with us. I'm Elaine Lindsay. This is Suicide Zen Forgiveness. Make the most of your today every day. And I will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results. And also by Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Kroon, motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City. On the stage, Judy draws from her wealth of performance experience, wit, and insight to entertain, inform, and inspire in her dynamic keynotes and half-day workshops.